Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, Colossians chapter 3 is where I'd ask you to turn. And uh, we're starting a new series this morning. We're working through the book of Colossians, but this morning is a great opportunity for us to start a new series. And so I'm really, really excited about it. Um, I left my cell phone on the front row, uh, but I actually need it for the illustration. So if you have a cell phone, hold that thing up. Let me see it real quick. Now, now if you're on Facebook right now, it's fine. You can lock your screen. That's no problem. Everybody's got a cell phone, right? Everybody's got it. All right, look. We live in a technology-driven society. The chances are you won't make it through this service without checking that thing two or three times. Amen? That's just the way it is. We live in a technology-driven society. That's not news to any of us. You showing up with a cell phone shows that that's just where we are. Listen, we, and that, that's kind of our instrument of communication these days. You know, we don't, we don't communicate like we used to, like talking in person. We communicate even over text. You know, it's not even a, a, a phone call anymore. It's a text message, which Cody really loves, by the way. Don't, 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 don't uh, send him a text, call him, because he, he prefers that, and I know that, and it's hilarious. But, we, man, we use that device for everything. We use it for phone calls, for text message, for Facebook Messenger, for WhatsApp. We, we use it to stay connected to the world uh, through social media. But, but you have the same problem that I do. Sometimes that little communication device starts running slow. It starts working badly. It, it develops what's called a glitch and, and apps won't open. Maybe the device freezes up on you. Maybe you're, you're trying to get somewhere and, and you've got maps open, but all of a sudden the GPS loses your location and you take a wrong turn and the next thing you know, God knows where you are. You can't com- connect to Facebook. You know, that triggers you or Instagram to see how many people liked the, the, the post that you put of what you had for dinner. And so now your anxiety skyrockets. To fix a glitch... The most common way to fix a glitch is to just restart the device, right? It's just to restart the device. I mean, it runs slow. The apps don't work. Everything freezes up. The number one answer is to restart the device. And when you restart the device, what happens is the operating system executes the the little program, the code that was written, and 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 it executes it from scratch, from a flat base, from zero, And usually, nine times out of ten, a restart will fix it. A restart will fix the glitch. A restart will allow your communication device to continue working properly. And if you don't restart it, I even got devices that warn me, hey, you haven't restarted your device in seven days. Yeah. (laughs) But but even the, the device recommends if you'll just restart, well, the machine will work better. And and so listen, as it relates to relationships and communication, the truth is, as humans, that we have a glitch many times in our communication. We have a glitch in our relationships. We have have something that's not working properly. I'm not saying it's not working. I'm just saying it's not working properly the way God intended. We have marital problems that are relationship problems that are communication problems. We have family problems that are relationship problems that ultimately are communication problems. We have kid problems, which are relationship problems, which ultimately are communication problems. And of course, let's not even talk about the things that we experience on a daily basis when we go to work, on the job, with the employer and employee, which are relationships, which are ultimately communication problems. And the truth is, many times what we need is a restart. We need a reboot in our life, and we need the code of God's Word to have its way in our heart and mind so that we can have the right relationships and communicate in a way that honors God and pleases God. We need a relationship restart. Now, if you don't think you you and I need a relationship restart, I, I don't know if you've watched the news recently, but it seems like every relationship and every attempt of communication amongst our society and culture is failing. And so, and so listen, we, we need to humble ourselves and come back to God's word for the code to run in our hearts and mind so that we can have right relationships in our lives. And so if you will, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 18 to 41. I'm going to read the whole text, and this morning we're going to focus on one verse this morning. 
The Bible begins in verse 18, and, and, and not to rehash everything that we've talked about, we're just going to pick it up in verse 18. The Bible addresses a certain group of people, wives. And then there's an instruction after that, that address, that, that call to action. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And all the wives right now are saying, it's Father's Day, get off of me. Come back next week, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that next week. And then, and then God's Word says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And we're going to deal with verse 21, fathers, today. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And then lastly, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing also ye also have a master in heaven. So here's the point. God lays out for us in this passage six relationships. And each of those relationships has a code. It has rules that, that should rule that relationship. Wives, husbands, children. Excuse, yeah, wives, husbands, children. Fathers, servants, and masters. And, and so we want to take the next six weeks and look at each one of those relationships in detail. Because we want to make sure that we have the code of God's Word completely understood in our heart and mind so that we don't have glitches, so that we don't have glitches. Now let's pray and begin because, you know, you want to get to lunch in, in just a few minutes, so let's pray and uh, hammer this out. Father, we, we need you this morning. We thank you again that, that we're able to rejoice in these families, God, that have willingly brought their children and said, you know what, I'm going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God, we thank you for that, and, and we pray your blessing upon them. Father, help us as a church to come alongside and support them, and this morning, help us learn the rules of these relationships, the, the code that if run properly in our heart and life will give us the relationships that honor and please you. So Lord, give us the wisdom we need today. We ask it from the Holy Spirit to teach us and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let me remind you this morning that the book of Colossians is historically written to a certain group of people. There's an audience that Paul is addressing in this epistle. Colossians chapter 1 Verses 1 and 2 tells us that when Paul penned this epistle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that he is writing this to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. And so Paul's admonition and, and what we're going to learn from this passage is specifically written to saved people, saved wives, saved husbands, saved children, saved fathers, saved servants, and saved masters. This is not a cultural or, or general teaching addressed to pagan people that are lost in their sin. This is very precisely and specifically addressed to saints and faithful brethren, aka Christians, in the Lord. And listen, you say, okay, well, that's good. This sounds like really good instruction for, for everybody. It is really good instruction for everybody. Uh, if a lost man will apply these things in his life and in his home, certainly there will be some improvement, but he will never be able to fully apply them because he does not have a relationship with Christ. And, and we'll get into that in just a second. Now listen, the, the problem is when we get into these relationships and we begin talking about what God's code, God rule, God's rules are for these relationships... It is very easy for even quote-unquote Christians in the 21st century to relegate the truths of that passage to a historical context. In other words, well, that's just first century lifestyle, and, and we've advanced and evolved so much now that, that really we can take liberty with what God has said in his word regarding these relationships. You know, the problem is if you relegate that to the, to the historical application only, you fail to realize that there's a very real spiritual battle, oh, that, by the way, has been waged since the Garden of Eden. And that battle from, 
from the devil himself and Satan against humanity and ultimately against Christ is the thing that affects the relationships that all humans have experienced from, from the beginning of time. And so we're not going to just say, well, that's old adage for old people that lived a long time ago. We're going to actually appreciate what God's Word says to us today. Secondly, there's a doctrinal application that we had better understand. Because Paul makes it very clear in this epistle, in Colossians 4 and verse 16, that this epistle of the Colossians, to the Colossians, is to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, in Revelation chapter 3, there are seven churches that are taught or mentioned in the book of Revelation. The seventh church is the church of the Laodiceans. And not only were those historically real churches in real places and real cities, but they paint for us a doctrinal picture of the entire church age. The last church that's mentioned is the church of the Laodiceans. And God tells us of that church, there is no good thing to say. There's no good thing to say. He says under the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art warm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The Laodicean church literally makes Jesus Christ sick. It's important That in the last days of Christianity, prior to the rapture of the church and the tribulation period, that this Laodicean church age understand the book of Colossians. Ah, well, man, that's just the book of Revelation. You can't understand that anyways. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, specifically the book of Revelation, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And the time is the time of the Lord's return. And so, and so this book of Colossians carries with it a significant doctrinal implication to the Laodicean church, the last day's church, the church that leads itself into literally the rapture and the tribulation period, the church in which God has no good thing to say about in Revelation chapter 3. So these instructions, this code for relationship is not just a first century thing, it's a 21st century thing. As we literally are on the brink of the second coming of the rapture of the church, the trib, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This code is the instruction for the Christian in the last days. And by the way, friend, it is commanded, not suggested. There is also a divine order in this passage because God deals with wives first. Husband second, the outpouring of that relationship is children, and that's why they're addressed third. Then fathers, notice what is missing is mothers in that passage. We'll allude to that in just a minute. Then servants, and then masters. What is interesting is when you compare this passage to Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, the same six relationships are mentioned. The exact same. You say, well, Paul wrote them both. Well, God wrote them both. The Holy Spirit of God knows what he's talking about. Colossians is the book that develops the supremacy of Christ. Ephesians is the book where God's revelation of the body of Christ, the mystery of the church is revealed. And so in Christ's supremacy and in his body, there is a need for right relationships. So this morning, because it's Father's Day, we're going to break protocol. Normally we would start in verse 18, but because it's Father's Day, we're going to skip down to verse 21. I never do this, but today we'll do it. We'll break rank, if you will, and talk to the fathers this morning. Verse 21, one verse that will take us the next 15 to 20 minutes. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You say, man, I got that. Move on. Okay, I'm not sure you have it yet. I think it's very interesting that in this passage... God is going to give us an association, an avoidance, and an admonition that must be heard by fathers. It must be highlighted by fathers, and it must be practiced by fathers. God's measure of a man in the Word of God is not his physical strength. It's not his physical appearance. Thank God for that. It's not his success in business, his amassing of possessions, his popularity amongst the community, nor his success in ministry. The measure of a man 
according to the Word of God, is the kind of Christ-like man that he is. The measure of a man is the type of Christ-like husband that he is. And the measure of a man is the godliness in which he fathers his home. And so number one, I want to give you three points this morning. Number one, I want to show you that a biblical father has an association. He has an association. And the reason I use that word is because the, the, the term or the title father is a title in which God himself reserves for himself. In other words, listen, your life changed when you became a father. Now your life changed when you got married. I understand that because now you had to share your snacks and you, know, you had to figure out how to live with another person. But your life really changed when you became a father. The reason why is because you have reproduced, you've borne fruit, you have started what is a family. And listen, God himself reserves that title of father for himself. And we don't have time for all the references. First John chapter 5 and verse 7 says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are, they're one. And if you were to take the time to study the phrase, the Father, in the New Testament, over 60 times in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and, and probably another 20 or 30 more times in First and Second John, you're going to see the phrase, the Father. Because God is a Father. When, when you get saved, you are born again as a, as a son of God, a child of God, into God's family, and God is your Father. And, and so let me give you a key point. Listen, godliness is God being manifest in the flesh. You say, why is that important, Jay? Why, why are you talking about God being manifest in the flesh? Because God's desire is that as a father, we should manifest God the Father in our flesh so that other people can see Christ in us. First, first Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 30, I and my father are one. You say, well, I thought you were talking about God the Father. It sounds like you're talking about Jesus Christ. Yes. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prophecy that's on all of your Christmas cards, at least the first half of it, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, millennial reign, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. That's Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God, God in the flesh. God manifest in the flesh. He is the everlasting Father, and He is the Prince of Peace. And so listen, fathers, this morning, let me, let me, let me admonish you. Listen, the title you bear directly associates you with God the Father Himself. What a privilege. I mean, what a privilege. What a responsibility. Amen? What a responsibility. Man, listen, if you, maybe you're not a father physically, but you've led other people to Christ, you've discipled other people, you're a spiritual father. You're a spiritual father that manifests God in the flesh, that, that lives in a godly manner to show the world, and specifically those who you're spiritually fathering, you're showing them the father. And that's a tremendous association that we have. Number two, I want to give you a biblical avoidance. God tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 21, there's one thing as a father we need to make sure we avoid. And so it's interesting, you know, the Holy Spirit of God didn't start with what we're to do, but he actually starts with what we're not to do as a father. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That's a simple verse, but it'll take the next 20 minutes to get through it. What it doesn't say in this passage is, Anything about mothers. And I'm going to repeat that a few times during this message because I want you to know, fathers, that God has some very clear instruction to you as men of God. So there are some things that we cannot relegate to the mother in the home. And this is one of them. This is one of them. This is directly written to fathers. It does not say mothers. If God wanted the mother to receive this instruction, he knows how to write it in English. 
But he specifically says fathers. And he says, listen, don't provoke your children to anger. The word provoke in the Bible literally means to stir up or to stimulate to an action or to an emotion. And so God tells us in this passage that provoking our children to anger will result in discouragement. That's a key problem for us in our homes as fathers. Listen, the natural, the the, the old man tendency of a saved father, the natural tendency of most fathers, I believe, and maybe this is not you, but, you know, I still struggle with my flesh, and you probably do too. The natural, the tendency of most of us as fathers is to provoke our kid. It's to irritate our kid. It's to rub them the wrong way. It's to downgrade them. Many times it's to criticize them. As fathers, many times we're quick to condemn, and we're slow to commend. And there are things that can stir up anger in our child that we need to pause and take inventory of. We have to remember that we're fathering children, not adults. And so, in other words, we have to make sure that our demands in and from their life are reasonable, not unreasonable. You you are raising children, not adults. Do you understand that? These aren't the people that you work with. You don't treat them the way that you treat your coworker. You treat them as your children. And the and the expectation of them should be biblically based, not what you think in your mind. If we're not careful, we'll humi- humiliate our children, making fun of their physical features or embarrassing moments in their development, such as hitting puberty and other things. And both physically and emotionally and spiritually, we can humiliate them. And what we don't understand is actually we are provoking them to anger, which leads to discouragement. We can provoke them to anger, provoke them to anger by a lack of understanding. Because we're dads and we know everything, right? Or maybe we don't. (laughs) Listening to our children, it needs to be an important part of our life. Does your heavenly father listen to you? With an ever-listening ear. Always. Does he ever say, I don't have time right now? He never says that. And God's ear is always listening and listen even when our issue is not anything significant to him it is significant to him because he listens our heavenly father listens listen if we're not careful we can provoke our children to anger by nagging and deriding them by being overly harsh and overly strict and by being inconsistent we can even provoke them to anger by disciplining when punishment wasn't necessarily warranted i know all of you can you know turn your halo down right now but i'll just be honest and tell you as a dad i've got it wrong i've disciplined my kids wrongly when I thought the situation was what I thought it was and I administered discipline and correction only to find out oh I didn't have all the info and so I went back to my kids and apologized and asked for asked for their forgiveness and asked for their forgiveness you know what by the way it is okay fathers to tell your children that you were wrong it's okay to tell them you were wrong they already know you were wrong (laughs) my girls knew I was wrong man But daddy, but daddy. And then after the fact, but daddy. Oh, yeah, actually, babe, you're right. I got it wrong. You know, one of the other ways I think that we're, if we're not careful, we'll provoke our children to anger that will lead to discouragement is by not fulfilling our role as a biblical father. And what I mean by that is because you're going to have a child that one day is going to grow up how to, and know how to read. And by the grace of God, they're going to come to church and they're going to learn what God's Word says about the family and relationships. And you're going to have a child that can read Colossians 3.21. And what greater thing to create discouragement than to have a father that knows what the Word of God says but does not live it at home. This is the hard part of the message. We'll get to the good part in a second. Man, listen, our children are a gift from God. The Bible tells us in in Psalm 127 and verse 3 that children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the the womb is His reward into our life. And I believe as you study that word provoking to anger, when you go through the entire Old Testament, you're going to see that there's one character that gets provoked to anger all the way through the Old Testament, and that's God the Father. Israel provoked Him to anger 
through their idolatry, through their graven images, through their doing evil, through their murmurings against leadership, through their abominations, through their idol worship, through their vanities, and through their lies. And if we're not careful, if we provoke our children to anger, that leads to discouragement. Well, i got to believe that provokes God to anger too. Okay, so we said the word provoke is to stir up, to, to stimulate to an action or to a, an emotion. The Bible does not say that we're not to provoke our children. It doesn't say don't provoke your children, period. It says don't provoke them to anger. So the, the question on the table is what do we provoke them unto if we're not provoking them to anger? Well, Hebrews 10 gives us a little bit of insight. Verse 24, the Bible tells us that we can provoke one another We can consider one another and provoke each other unto love and unto good works. We can provoke each other. And and listen, as, as again, as scriptural, spiritual fathers that are saved, we are called to provoke not only our children, but even each other unto love and unto good works. We're to stir up. We're to stimulate each other toward these actions. And so what kind, of, what kind of things am I provoking my children to love? That would be the first question I would ask. Do we provoke our children to love God, to love his word, to love the body of Christ, to love church? Your kids probably love church as much as you love church. And they probably hate it as much as you hate it. So if you have roast preacher every Sunday for lunch, don't be surprised if your kids grow up hating church. What do we provoke our kids to love? We'll teach them to love sports, and we'll, le- we'll teach them to love the outdoors, and we'll teach them to love technology and YouTube and all the hobbies that we're interested in. And what's missing is a love for God, a love for his word, a love for the body of Christ, and a love for the mission that God has called us to accomplish. You said, yeah, I don't like this on Father's Day. Well, I don't really care if you like it. Because what's missing in our culture is some fathers full of faith. We have to have them. What are you provoking your children to love? And what good works are you provoking your children to do? Hebrews says that we provoke unto love and to good works. Well, well, works can be seen. They're they're visible. There's something that's done. and, And if we don't provoke our kids to those things, we're probably going to provoke them to anger which leads to discouragement. And listen, children are a heritage of the Lord. They are a reward, and they are fragile. (laughs) They are fragile. And to discourage them means to dishearten them, to dispirit them, and to break their spirits. And God would have us not do that. God doesn't do that to us as his children. Discouraged children, here's a key in your notes, are always the result of a faithless father. Notice I didn't say an unsaved father. We're talking to Christian homes and Christian men. But discouraged children are the result of a faithless father. Paul is writing to the Colossians. And so we're talking to Christian fathers this morning. I think most fathers want the prominence of being the head of the home. You all, just like I did, woke up this morning thinking, well, I wonder what my kids got me or made me. I got some really cool cards that were custom made this morning. I also got a machete. I thought about bringing that to church, but some of you, you know, probably wouldn't have responded rightly to that. I sure did. As soon as I unwrapped it, I thought, you nailed this one. I text Josh. I was like, I got a machete. Whatever you got ain't this good. I mean, it can't be. That shows you how crazy my family is. Okay. You know, I think as fathers, we, we desire that position of prominence, right, in our home. We want to be the head. We know that God's word says we're the head. We're the head of our wives. We're the head of our family. But we have to understand with that position comes the responsibility. It comes the responsibility of the headship that God has given us. And we have to be careful not to forget that that the responsibility of the father extends not just to the physical nurture and care of our family, but to the spiritual We have the responsibility to make sure our wives are spiritually well, and we, fathers, have the responsibility to make sure our children 
are spiritually well and right. You cannot relegate that or delegate that to your wife and to their mother because God has not. And so biblical family, really a biblical family, is God's design for discipleship. It's a father raising his family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's the second point. We will move to the positive, I promise. But the second point is this. We have to take note of this. Because discouraged children, children that have been provoked to wrath, that that end in discouragement, discouraged children will disengage from biblical Christianity. Their hearts will be disconnected from God and his mission. If we're not careful, when we discourage our children, they will absolutely unplug from biblical Christianity. They will not be connected to God and his mission It doesn't mean they won't be successful according to the world's standard, according to what humans say that success is. But listen, in God's eyes, man, that's a broken home and a broken child. You can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Bible talks about the nation of Israel going up into the promised land. And in verse 21, God tells them, look, Moses tells them, look, God has the whole land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers had said to thee, Neither fear not, nor neither be discouraged. Go fulfill the mission that God's called you to do, and don't be discouraged. Well, you know the story. They sent some spies into that land, and those spies came back with a negative report. All but two. And the Bible tells us in verse 28 that because of that negative report, it discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. Whether shall we go? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. So we're not going. Discouraged children disengage from the mission. Fathers, we have a tremendous responsibility. You know, it's a lot easier to bring that kid with you when you're engaged in the mission. Listen. It's a lot easier because they see you already doing it. It's a lot easier because you've given them a pattern to follow. Number number three, let's go quickly. So we've seen a biblical father's association, the, the tremendous title that we have, Father. We've seen a biblical father's avoidance. Provoke not your children to wrath. And then lastly, we're going to see a biblical father's admonition. And from this, we're going to pull... From Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the the companion passage of Colossians chapter 3, the Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. By the way, wrath is anger multiplied. It's the outpouring of anger. But bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And again, God is, is kind of given roll call in this passage in Ephesians because he's calling out those six titles very specifically. And again, he addresses fathers. It's been said that when God repeats himself, it's like God cranking up the the volume on the radio. When he repeats it, it's God trying to say, listen, you need to pay attention, fathers, because here's the other admonition for you. Don't just not provoke, but bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And again, God has directed that specifically to us as fathers. God says we're to bring them up. When you study that phrase throughout the Bible, bring them up, the first mention you're going to find is in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8 concerning the nation of Israel. God says in Exodus 3 and verse 8, I am come down to deliver them, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and into a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Termites and all those other nights. Okay. When God brings somebody up in the Bible, it's always from a, a place of less prominence and importance to a place of more prominence. I, I put it in your notes like this. When God brings somebody up in the Bible, it, he always brings them from an inferior state to a superior state. He's he's bringing the nation of Israel up out of Egypt unto Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where God said, if you will get there, I will win every battle for you, every victory for you, I will provide for you. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is spiritual maturity. 
I'm bringing you up so I can bring you out so I can bring you unto. That's what God is doing. And, and there's a ton of references in your notes. You can go back to Numbers 20. You can go back to Jeremiah 27. God, again, bringing the nation of Israel up out of Babylon after their captivity. Matthew 17, Jesus bringing Peter, James, and John up to the mountain where he's transfigured before them. So we should learn as fathers that when God brings somebody up and God instructs us to bring our children up, he's talking about bringing them to a superior status, a superior state, a state that's closer in fellowship with him. So here's the first key, and we've got to move quick. Fathers are to bring up their children in the nurture of the Lord. Fathers are to bring up their children in the nurture of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot. It doesn't just say fathers are to bring their children to church, okay? So I'm glad that we bring our kids to church, but there's, there's something that's got to happen Monday to Saturday in our homes. There's something that's got to happen Monday to Saturday. Listen, we can't relegate that to children's church, to toddlers, to nursery. We have to do it ourselves, fathers. So this, this word nurture, it's the only time that word appears in the English language uh, in the King James Bible, but it means instruction and correction. As a matter of fact, in your, by, in your notes, you have every other reference where that word is translated differently. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the same word nurture is, in, is translated instruction and in righteousness. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, that same word is translated as chastening. And chastening is punishment. Chastening is discipline. It's instruction with discipline and, and, and punishment. You say, man, that sounds rough. Well, listen. <laughs> Again... God, the perfect Heavenly Father, Hebrews 12 says that God, the perfect Heavenly Father, out of, out of a motivation of love, chastens His children. So if we're going to be like God the Father, we're going to need to nurture our children. And here's the fathering fact. We nurture our children with discipline and punishment. Now all the kids in the room said, man, this is going to be a rough afternoon. <laughs> we... It's going to be a really rough afternoon. Well, probably not. If you're paying attention, you just walk it like you're supposed to, and, and you know the Lord will work it out. You admonish, excuse me, you nurture a child with discipline and with punishment. Judges chapter eight and verse sixteen, the Bible says, and he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Anybody get any of that teaching as a kid? Hello. My dad had this leather belt, man. <laughs> it was like this custom leather belt. It was, it was engraved. If you can engrave leather, I think you can. And, uh, and that thing was like the thing that struck fear in me. You know, it, it hung on his little thing beside his bed that hung his belt and some of his other clothes. And man, listen, the, the, the fear of that piece of leather, that instrument of nurture, <laughs> for the most part, kept me in line. I had to be reminded a few times. Listen, we, we as fathers have to be the lead disciplinarian in our homes. We have to be. Fathers, we are to bring our children up in the nurture of the Lord, the instruction and the chastening of the Lord. And what that means is that we have to be the lead disciplinarian, and that also mean, means wives and mothers, you need to humbly submit to that and support that. And not fight against your husband and not fight against that child's father. <clears throat> are we okay? God says that fathers are to bring their children up in the nurture of the Lord. And God is a perfect father who loves his children and chastens his children when they need it. And if we don't model that and mirror that in our home, they grow up, our children grow up, with a skewed and unbiblical view of who God the Father really is. So we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Secondly, fathers are to bring our children up in the admonition of the Lord. And so we nurture our children through discipline and punishment. We bring our children up with admonition, and the way we admonish our children is through words and instruction. Because admonition is always spoken. 
And let me just say this. As a father, listen, that is a, that is a two-sided coin that every one of us need to pay attention to. Because the truth is, we will probably all err on one side or the other of that coin. Either on the nurture side because we're overly disciplining with no admonition, or on the admonition side where we're overly instructing and using words, but never disciplining and punishing. Does that make sense? Listen, I struggle with that. You struggle with that as a father. We have to understand those are two sides of the exact same coin. And so you admonish a child with words and instructions. Colossians chapter 3, you learned this last week in church. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. This is something that is spoken out of words. It's instruction in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When something comes out of your mouth, it should admonish. It should instruct you say, well, I never had to spank my kids. I just tell them what to do. Okay, well, pfft. okay. <laughs> I love you in the Lord. <laughs> but you may have erred on the admonishing side of what God requires. And for the disciplinarian and the authoritative father, you probably are erring on the nurturing side. And you need to sit down and teach with words and instruction, what it means to follow God, what it means to walk with God. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 says this concerning Moses, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. God himself admonished Moses. He gave him words of instruction, but he also gave him a pattern to follow. That earthly tabernacle is just a representation of the true heavenly tabernacle. So God admonished Moses through spoken word and instruction, but he also admonished him with a pattern. Can I just tell you that parenting should just be patterning? Patterning what Christ-likeness is. Okay. So listen. One of the greatest things that will help us as a father. One of the greatest things that will help us as a father. Is to learn how to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now listen. You may be sitting here saying I don't know how to do that. And that's an honest response. The first thing that you need to do is get discipled. The first thing that will help you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Is to get discipled. Because we can't bring our families and our, our children to a place that we have not yet been. And I say that to encourage you. Listen, listen, you and I have the, re- <laughs> the weight of the pennies have nothing in comparison to the weight of what we're talking about right now. The weight of the responsibility, <laughs> responsibility spiritually to, to raise our families and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the spiritual well-being of our children, listen, that, that far outweighs a jar of pennies. And so the pressure of that ought to motivate us to personally grow spiritually, to grow, grow, to be fathered in the faith by someone else. We're responsible for what happens in our home to our wives and to our children. And listen again, God has given us that position. But let's make sure we understand the weight of the responsibility. Let's make sure we understand the weight of the responsibility together. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for the fact that she is a mother But God's word is not teaching these things to her. As a matter of fact, as I study the scripture, I don't see a single time where the the audience that addressed says mothers. God, God addresses wives and husbands and children, and then he addresses fathers, and then he addresses servants and masters. You won't find it where God says, mothers, here it is. As a matter of fact, the only, the only place you maybe could find that and argue is Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where God tells the aged women to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. But, but it is interesting to pay attention to what God's word says and also what God's word does not say. God didn't give that instruction to mothers. He gave it to fathers. He gave it to fathers. And so here's the point. 
a husband that understands this responsibility will understand that he has a tremendous opportunity to change the spiritual legacy of his home. A father that takes that seriously, listen, will abs- listen, a family altar led by a father will alter the family. A family altar led by a father will alter the family. Especially a Christian man. And, and this, is the, this is who Paul is addressing. And so you may be in a situation this morning, and I'm sympathetic toward it. You may be in a situation where, listen, the father of my children is an unbeliever. Okay, I understand that, and I'm going to give you some comfort from the scriptures. You say, well, maybe I'm in a situation where the father is not present. Maybe we're divorced, maybe we're separated, whatever the case is. There is no father present. What does God's word have to say about that? That's a legitimate question. And I think God has a legitimate answer. Psalm 68 and verse 5 says this, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God... In his holy habitation. In other words, if there is one without a father, please know that God is still a father. Amen? He's still a father. And God has a heart for the fatherless greater than we can understand, so much so that he himself wants to be their father in salvation and in maturity. You say, how does that happen? Well, I think think as you study the scriptures, you come across a young man named Timothy who had a father that was a Greek, who probably was an unbeliever in all likelihood because his name is never mentioned in the Bible. But he had a faithful and a faith-filled mother and grandmother that taught him the scriptures. But listen, as, as, a, as much of an investment as that was, and that was an investment, it took a man named Paul to come along and to preach the gospel to him and to lead him to Christ And become his spiritual father. And listen, when you read the epistles written from Paul to Timothy, that relationship is not a pastor, pastor in training relationship. It is a relationship between a father and a son. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, I write not these things to shame you, Corinthian believers, but as my beloved Sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul said, I led you to Christ. I'm going to be your spiritual father. Listen, there, there are many of us that may have the testimony. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have a spiritual father. Maybe my father got saved later in life. Listen, i Thank God that they came to Christ. We're going to rejoice in what God does. And so for some of us, we need to understand, listen, it doesn't, our past is not what makes us. It's our, our present and our future in Christ. You, you may not have had that growing up. You may not have grew up in a Christian home, but now you are a believer in Christ. And you have the opportunity to change the spiritual dynamic of your home and your children's children. You may have got saved later in life. And listen, you now have... You have the opportunity to make a difference in your grandchildren's lives for the glory of Christ. I'm just telling you, listen, God has a heart for the fatherless. And God is greater than whatever decisions we make in our sin and our flesh. God is greater and can work beyond that. I'm thankful for that. And so listen, as we wind this thing down, i got a couple of questions to ask. Number one, do you have a heavenly father? In other words, is God your heavenly father? Have you been born again into God's family? You should all remember a time and a date and a a place where God, through, through the Holy Spirit of God, made you realize your sin and your need for salvation. When was the time that you were born into God's family? And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, today's the greatest day to be born again, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you are saved today, listen, and I'm I'm talking to fathers today, do you realize the privilege that we have? the association that we have, the the responsibility that we have to mirror to our family God the Heavenly Father. Now, the first one that that will repent and respond to this message is me. Can I just tell you that? That's a tremendous responsibility. And yet not I, but Christ in me. Not I, but Christ in me. Can't do it in my flesh, can't do it in, in, in my will, 
and my power, but through the Holy Spirit of God and through the Word of God, by faith, every one of us can fulfill what God has called us to do. Every one of us can. So listen, we, we, we have to receive that. And, and then I would ask, lastly for fathers, look, where, where are we on that coin? Nurture and admonition. <laughs> you know, discipline correction and instruction with words and, and teaching. Where are we at on that side of the coin? And if we err on one side of that or, or maybe err on the other, can we ask God by the grace of God to put us right in the center so that we do both? Man, some of us may have examined this passage and now realize, you know what? I got some really discouraged kids. Listen, God may have you hear that today and, and realize that I, I need to go home and do inventory with my children. I need to realize maybe I'm provoking my kids to anger. They're discouraged. They're disinterested. They're disengaged in anything that relates to God. And I want to fix that because I want to be right with God as a father. All right? So let's bow our heads as we begin our invitation. Father, we love you this morning. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your word that, that clearly defines first century, 21st century. God, we have relationships that need attention. Father, there's a code that needs to be written on our heart and life. And Father, for every man in this room that's a father that carries the title, I thank you for them. Because these men in this church, God, they're, 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 they're mighty men. They're, they're wonderful men. They love their home. They love their family. They love this church. Father, help us to measure our, our fathering according to the word of God. And God, for me, me first, if there's any variance in my life, God, I pray I'd repent. Father, I know the things that you've already spoken to my heart about in preparation and even preaching in this sermon. Some areas where I need to make sure I'm sured up. Father, for every man in this room, I pray that for them. Maybe there are spiritual fathers here that, that maybe aren't yet physical fathers, but the way they lead their disciple needs to model the heavenly father. So Lord, may you encourage them. And Father, if there's any that are fatherless, that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, today draw them to you. I pray they'd respond to the gospel by faith. Father, for those that are saved but don't have the spiritual nurture and admonition that they need in their life, they need that spiritual father. They need that discipler. God, bring the right person into their life so that they can grow and grow rightly with you.